Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. The Apostle Paul, in writing this letter to the Philippians, is encouraging them and encouraging us continue to press on. Not to grow weary in following Christ, but to remember this statement. It is worth it all to follow Him. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 8 of chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Bow with me in prayer once again. Father, we believe your word is truth, unchanging and eternal. So Lord, this morning we ask for you to open our hearts that we might receive your word. Father, we know that any issue we encounter where we wonder what's going on or we don't understand, Lord, we know the issue is not you or your word. You're accomplishing all things according to your plan and for your glory. So Father, we ask you to help us. Help us to trust you. Help us to live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. For we know that when we do that, when we trust you, you alone will be glorified. And that is our prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray and I ask this. Amen. It's been a little over 20 years since a film that has really taken on classic status came to be released. It is the film Forrest Gump. And I won't even try to do an imitation. There have been far too many imitations of Forrest. Forrest Gump. But there's one scene in it that in preparing for this caught my mind. It's right after Forrest's mother has passed away. So you know what Forrest decides to do? He decides to start running. He just takes out running. He leaves Greenbow, Alabama and starts out running across the United States. And then once he reaches the Pacific Ocean, he turns around and he runs back. And the interesting thing is that in the film, people begin to follow him. One guy starts running behind him and he says, here's a guy who's got his act together. Who's got it all figured out? Who has the answers? I'll follow you anywhere, Mr. Gump. And Forrest says, so I got company. I couldn't help myself. So at the end of this scene, there's a whole host of people running behind Forrest. He's running through what appears to be the Mojave Desert. And he just stops in the middle of the road. And he says, I've been running for three years, two months, 13 days, and 16 hours. And when Forrest stops, one of the people behind him says, Wait! Wait! He's got something to say. And Forrest says, I'm pretty tired now. I think I'll go home. And he turns around 
and he starts running the other way, and the people part. And they're standing there like, what? And somebody cries out, now what are we supposed to do? It's one of those moments that can be overlooked in a film. Now what are we supposed to do? Everything we had trusted in has changed. The one who was supposed to give us answers to see us through, he's going back home. Now what are we supposed to do? There are many believers that ask that same question at times. What happens when you are sacrificing? When you give up things for the sake of following Jesus and life is not going like you thought it should and the temptation becomes very real to check out, to stop following, to begin playing it safe in the Christian faith just because you've invested everything in following Christ and now difficulty has come, persecution has come, tragedy has entered into life. And you may even begin to ask yourself this. Is it even worth it? Is it even worth it following Jesus? Because following Jesus is costly. Salvation's free. We can do nothing to earn or merit or pay for our salvation. Being made right with God is by faith. And that is through God's grace. And both of of those are gifts from God. But hear me clearly, discipleship, following Him, cost everything. The disciples, James and John, they leave their nets behind. They even leave their father standing in the boat to follow Jesus. Jesus said that if we want to be His disciples, then we must take up our crosses, die to self, and follow Him. The Apostle Paul has done exactly that. He has left everything in his former life behind. And not only has he left things behind, not only has he left status and security and reputation, he has added to his life hardships. He has added to his life deprivation. He has added to his life suffering. And all for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's why it's very interesting that in verse 7, although I didn't read it, I direct your attention there now. Paul says, whatever gain I had, so whatever reputation, whatever security, whatever status in society, whatever I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Now verse 8 continues that thought. I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Material possessions... Nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Standing in reputation as a religious leader, nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Safety and security, nothing compared to knowing Jesus. So this morning I ask you to consider this issue. Is it worth it? Is it worth following Jesus? And I want us to look at the reasons that Paul gives. Because in verses 8 through 11, Paul gives three reasons why it is worth it to follow Jesus. Why it is worth it all. 
And you can find these because they are identified by the four-letter word that. That is the key. That's the cue we look at. So he says, I give all of these things. And now as we read through the text, we see the first reason that Paul says it is worth it all is this. It is worth any sacrifice. It is worth any deprivation. It is worth any cost to know Jesus because there's always more of him to know. Look at verse 7. Notice he says, I count it as lost because of. Look at the next phrase. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says the value of knowing Jesus is worth everything. Now every year there is a, a very interesting auction that takes place to raise money for charity. The prize at this auction is an hour dinner with the billionaire Warren Buffett, the chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, one of the richest men in America and recognized as one of the most savvy businessmen of a generation. People will bid to eat with him for just an hour. Now, of course, it's for charity, and that's a good thing, but the winning bid last year was this, $3.3 million. Now, I know some people that would pay that much to eat with Jimmy Buffett. I don't know about Warren Buffett. $3.3 million. I wondered this. After paying that amount of money, do you think the relationship continues afterward? Do you think there's any ongoing fellowship that happens? Do you think they become best buddies? Probably not. Compare that cost for a, an hour meal with the cost of knowing Jesus. How much is a relationship with Jesus worth? Paul says the worth of it cannot be measured. It's of surpassing worth. In fact, he says in verse 8, the worth of knowing Christ Jesus. That word knowing is not just factual terms, factual knowledge. That idea of knowing means a close relationship with someone, being in communion with. He's saying to have a relationship with Jesus is so valuable that it is the worth the loss of everything that is in this world. That's why Paul uses very strong language in verse 8, to count them as rubbish. The English language cleans that word up. It could literally be translated dung, refuse. Honestly, when I was reading this and studying this, and I, I go back to what that word means, I went back to a memory of my childhood. Now, if you have a weak stomach or this offends your sensibilities, I do apologize beforehand. Here is my disclaimer. My grandparents lived on a farm. And on that farm, they raised hogs. And that meant that on the back porch, there was a bucket affectionately known as the slop bucket. Some of you are nodding your heads. I even got an amen. Because after we would eat dinner at Mamaw's, and if there was food still on the plate, guess where that food went? The slop bucket. Oh, yeah. And after a day full of food and a little bit of water, the slop bucket lives up to its name. And it was always a pleasure to go out with Papaw to slop the hogs. Woo! Got a little Jerry Clower coming on. That's what Paul's saying. Everything in this world is like the slop bucket compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. Money goes in the slop bucket. Diamonds goes in the bucket. Status, power goes in the bucket. Reputation in the bucket. 
Compared to Jesus, that's exactly what everything is. And then he introduces the reason why. I draw your attention back to verse 8. He says, that I may gain Christ. So here's the first reason. Everything is considered as, as slop for the bucket. Why? That I may gain Christ. Now the interesting thing is his language. It's future tense. That I may gain him. Paul already has a relationship with Jesus. He has been saved, justified, just as we who are believers, we've been adopted into the family. We already have Jesus. So Paul is not talking about a present tense salvation. Paul's looking to the future. He's saying, I'm counting everything as lost now. So that in the future, I may gain more of Jesus. He is looking forward to the day of Christ. On the day when he stands in front of God. And he's saying, on that day, I want more and more of Jesus. Just a little bit of Jesus is not enough. I want more and more of him because of who Jesus is. And Graham Lott puts it this way as she describes our Lord. She says, he is enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally gracious. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. He is the sinner's savior. He is the captive's ransom. He is the breath of life. He is the centerpiece of salvation. He is august and he is unique. He is unparalleled and unprecedented. He is undisputed and undefined. He is unsurpassed and unshakable. He is the lofty idea in philosophy. He is the supreme subject in literature. He is the fundamental doctrine of theology. He is the cornerstone, the capstone, and the stumbling stone of all religion. He is the miracle of the ages. So, with all things considered, give me Jesus. And Paul says, I want to know more and more and more of him. Now, the interesting thing as you look on is he says in verse 9, and be found in him. So Paul is saying, if I lose everything now, but I gain Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus in the future. I've come out ahead. I've won. But notice he doesn't stop there. He says, and be found in him. Now that phrase in verse 9 tells how he gains more Jesus. We've already established that as he sacrifices here, it is for the sake of reward and gaining more of Christ. But how can he be sure that on that day he is ready to meet him? Well, he says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. Righteousness means right standing with God. So he is saying that on the day I stand before him, and I want to gain more of Jesus. I want to be found in Christ. Now, the idea of righteousness means the standard that God requires. If you're a golfer, it's like saying this is God's par. This is the standard. And there are two ways you can meet that standard. Paul enumerates both of them here. The first way you can try to meet God's standard is this. You can try to be good enough. You can try to be moral enough that you stand right before God. Verse 9, he refers to that as a righteousness that comes from ourselves, a righteousness of our own that comes from the law. Now, if that is the route you want to go, understand this. You must be perfect in every way. 
If your goal is to say, I'm going to be good enough, smart enough, kind enough, moral enough, that I'm going to earn my status before God, okay. But just know, you have to be perfect in every action, in every thought, in every attitude, and in every word. Never a miscue, never a mistake. Perfection is the standard. There's been a a lot in the news about college acceptance lately with the scandal that broke about a month ago. Reading about that, I came across some information about Stanford University, recognized as one of the top universities in the United States. According to their admission standards, only 5% of all the students that apply at Stanford University are accepted. In 2017, 42,000 students applied. Only 2,000 were accepted. On their website, Stanford explains their standards. The average ACT score for accepted students is 35. The perfect score on ACT is 36. You also have to have an SAT of 1520 out of 1600 and an average GPA of 4.18 out of a 4.0 scale. Plus a robust resume of extracurricular activities, leadership qualities, references, and recommendations. And oh yeah, and by the way, if you're accepted, it's just 60000 a year. Not many beat those standards. God's standards are even more stringent. So understand that if you are living your life thinking, my good's going to outweigh my bad, understand your good must be perfection. That's one route. But the other route he explains also in verse 9. But that which comes through faith in Christ... The righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is the righteousness that God gives. The first righteousness comes from us and our efforts. This righteousness comes from God. It comes through Jesus and it depends on faith. In other words, we can rely on ourselves or we can rely on what God has done in Jesus. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life. He met every demand that God had. He lived perfectly. He acted perfectly. He thought perfectly. He spoke perfectly. Jesus fulfilled all the righteousness that God demands. So that by faith in Jesus, God takes the righteousness of Jesus and he credits it to your account. He credits it to my account when I have faith in Christ. So Paul says that when I stand before him, I don't want to be clothed in my righteousness. I want to be clothed in what God has provided in Jesus. I want to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So those are the choices before us. When you stand before God, you will be clothed in righteousness. It will either be the righteous things you have done or the righteousness that comes from God. If you are clothed in your righteousness, you're going to find out you are not ready. But if you are clothed in the righteousness of God that that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, he says, then you will gain Christ. That is why it is worth it. It's worth it to follow Christ because he is the only way of salvation. Paul gives another reason now. It's not just looking to the future day, but in verse 10, he shifts gears. He says, it is worth it all that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. 
It's worth it all to gain Christ. That's future. But now he says it's worth it all to know the power of God in our suffering. The focus in verse 10 is here and now. He says, I, I want to focus on two things. Power and suffering. Now the power is identified as the power of his, that is Jesus' resurrection. There are many types of power in this world. Horsepower, hydroelectric power, wind power, nuclear power. But all of those pale in comparison to resurrection power. You see, the resurrection is not just an event that we study. The resurrection points to the power of God that is a living reality that as believers we are to experience daily. It is the power of God to bring life out of death. It is the power of God to bring hope out of hopelessness. It is the power of God to bring light out of darkness. It is the power of God to redeem and to sustain, to reclaim and to restore. And that power that is real and living and active in the lives of believers is known only again against the backdrop of suffering. Just like a diamond is displayed against a black cloth to show its brilliance. We know the power of the resurrection only in the backdrop of suffering. That's why Paul puts them together. If we are to know the power of his resurrection, it is because we share in his sufferings. Remember, we follow the man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief. That's why Jesus said that in this world you will have trials and tribulations. To follow Jesus means to be at odds with this world. It means that we will be contrary to the values of the culture around us. To follow Christ means to feel the weight of sin more acutely means that we will feel the burden of injustice of this world more intensely. But church, we don't despair. Because those are the tools by which God is shaping us. And in the midst of those struggles, we know the power of His resurrection. That's why we are not overwhelmed. That's why Paul says we are crushed, but not destroyed. We are perplexed, but we are not in doubt. I just wonder how many of us daily are aware of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. How many of us are aware that God has given us the resources we need to strengthen us, to guide us, to lead us, to know that we do not have to live according to the power of this world. Sometimes I think the issue is this. It's not that the power is lacking. Simple, we've just not plugged into it. It's like we say, I believe in Jesus and I trust Him to be saved, but then we live our life apart from Him without praying, without being in His Word, without having our minds transformed to think about the resurrection power. And then Satan works to sever us from that power by making us doubt it. And Paul's calling us back here to say, Know the resurrection power in the midst of your suffering. And every one of us in here experienced suffering in some way. Whether it be because we claim the name of Jesus or because we simply live in a fallen world. Suffering knows no boundaries. 
rich and poor suffer. White or black, we suffer. But do you know the power of the resurrection is not caged by any boundaries? Rich, poor, black, white, smart, not so smart, we all can rely on and know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And that should be something in our lives that causes people to say, what do you know that I don't know? Who do you know that I don't know? When they see the quality of our lives, even in the midst of suffering, and that quality that comes about in our lives is due to the resurrection power of Jesus. So Paul says it's worth giving up everything to know that power. And then he finally ends by looking at the future again. He says it's worth it all to know the promise of God for the future. And that promise is the resurrection of the dead. Look at verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's looking forward to a day. A day when death will be put firmly under the feet of Jesus, crushed and destroyed forever. He's looking forward to a day. Now notice specifically, it's the day of the resurrection of the dead. He's talking about the day when the dead in Christ will rise. You see, Paul's goal is not just some spiritual existence. His goal is not the idea that we're in heaven and we're floating around like ghosts. His goal is this. It is the redemption of this body. You see, what happens when a believer dies is that they go to be in the presence of the Lord, awake, aware. But for those who are with the Lord right now, there's still a sense of waiting for the day when the resurrection will occur. And the dead in Christ will rise with new bodies where we experience total transformation. Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that when this body is buried, it's like a seed being planted. This seed that is planted is perishable, but it will be raised imperishable. It is sown in weakness, but it will be raised in power. Sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. What he's talking about is the redemption of these bodies that are tainted with sin and that feel the effects of sin. And that we will have glorious resurrected bodies that follow the pattern established by Jesus Christ in His resurrection. That's why the scripture says that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. That he is the first fruits of the final resurrection. So Paul is saying, I'm looking forward to a day when this body will be transformed and I will be changed. And this sinful body put aside, this weak body put aside, this body that knows the stripes and the pains and the persecutions of this world will be transformed into a glorious reality. Are we looking forward to that? You see, it's very, very common for the ease of this world to lure us into a sense of dullness. Where we forget this world is not our home. Where the reality is that everything we do to try to extend life here and now is like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It's a morbid thought, but it's true. And that's why we need to look forward. To the day of Christ's return. Paul says, is it worth it? Yes. It's worth it to gain more of Jesus. It's worth it to know his resurrection power. And it's worth it because of the day when we will experience the resurrection of the body.
few Sundays ago, I mentioned the martyr Jim Elliot who gave his life for the sake of the gospel. He is not only known for that action, he is also known for a statement that he made. Jim Elliot once wrote, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's not foolish to give up what you can never keep in order to get what you can never lose. So I ask you, do you know it's worth it? I want to invite you now to bow your heads with me. For those of you that are believers, I hope that this message has been an encouragement to you to know that no matter what trial you are facing, no matter what challenge you are encountering that's causing you to maybe question your faith, to know that it is worth it to follow Jesus. I recognize there may be some here that have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And so I ask you this morning to examine what are you relying on on the day that you stand before God. We all will stand before Him. Are you trying to rely on your own efforts? Or will you trust Christ? The Holy Spirit may be speaking to your heart right now, helping you to realize that your very best falls short. Will you trust Christ? I'm going to lead us in a prayer, then after this prayer we will stand together and sing. And as we sing, if you need to respond in any way, I invite you to come forward. Heavenly Father, thank you for the encouragement you give us through your word. Help us to remember these things. To know that following Christ is worth it all. And Lord, I pray that we would be willing to lay it all before you. In the name of Jesus, I pray.